Let me just say, one of the reasons we read a double portion of Scripture of the uh, Parshas is so that we can read the entire Torah in a year. And so uh, sometimes uh, in order to accomplish the reading of those various sections, we have to double up in order to get that done. And so that's why there's a double reading. All right, well, we're going to continue our study in the new Alakha, because... Um, one of the things we're told in the scriptures, and in, in, uh, Paul wrote, is that the law is holy. The Lord, the law is just and good, but the law is weak. And what the law could not do, God did, and God does through the Messiah. And and so in Messiah, we're able to actually what we have in the new covenant is a biblical Talmud. In other words, uh, the Talmud is a commentary on how we're to understand the scriptures, and they are the rabbinical understandings of how we are to walk in the law of the Lord. But God has given us a divine Talmud, a divine way of understanding the law in a written on the heart sense. Uh, the, the law was given to transform, uh, I mean the Lord came to transform our heart to make us new, to revive us, and to, and to refresh us. And so we've been going through this halacha, this new halacha. Uh, last week I was told that it may have been that the uh, words were a little bit too bright, so I, I uh, toned it down. I may have toned it down a little bit too much. Can you see it up there? All right. Yeah, all right. If not, yeah, come up, flow forward. Anyway, new halacha. Uh, halacha, halacha, is uh, defined in Jewish tradition as rules handed down in Torah which are to guide our everyday behavior. In other words, the word, the root of the word halacha is walk, halak. And, and when Jews say halacha, they're thinking about walking in God's law. All right, so that's what halacha is. In other words, it is defined as walking according to God's revealed commands, how we are to walk. And God wants our walk to be filled with joy and peace and blessing. Uh, this has not changed, but we now operate under the new covenant that was promised through the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah wrote uh, in uh, 600 B.C. or so, uh, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with them when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them. And so God said that we broke that covenant, and so so actually what the scriptures also teach is that God divorced Israel for her unfaithfulness. Not many people know that, but God actually gave Israel a writ of divorce and described in the book of Jeremiah. But God never remarried. And he promised that one day he would remarry his people. And that day is yet to come, but we are engaged. That's why the Messiah came. He came to invite us uh, to to uh, uh, to propose to us as a husband to a bride, and when we accept that invitation to become married to the Lord or to become engaged to the Lord, which is what we are right now, uh, God gives us His Spirit, and He's gone, as John says in John chapter fourteen. Yeshua said, "I'm going to prepare a place for you." That's the whole scenario of a of a bridegroom and a bride. And so God has given us a new covenant, and the down payment of that covenant, our wedding ring, if you will, is the Spirit of God. 
living in our heart. And he is now away preparing a place for us, but he's left his ring, his spirit, as it were, to help us prepare ourselves for his soon return. That's all part of the new covenant. All right, so we still have, uh, 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 the law has not changed, but we now interpret it through the spirit of God given to us in our heart. All right, because of what Messiah Yeshua has done for us, we've received great blessings. That's what we've been uh, looking at in chapters 1 through 3, the blessings of this new covenant. We may enter now into the Holy of Holies, clothed with holy garments. What is the Holy of Holies? It is the presence of God. We no longer are excluded uh, from the presence of God, but through Messiah and through being uh, receiving him and through the uh, clothing that he's given to us, he's declared us to be priests and, and not just common Israelites. We now can enter into the courtyards of the priest. We can enter into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God. And that's a marvelous thing that God has done for us. And we found that as we've discussed in Ephesians chapters 1 through 3. And if you want to learn more about that, you can go to M. Uh, Messianic Congregation of Chicago.org, and all the messages are there on our website and, and outlines as well. Anyway, we may enter into the Holy of Holies. We've been commissioned and entrusted with the mysteries of God. We've discussed that as well. God has entrusted us with things that the prophets long for, uh, but, but now are realized in us through the Spirit of God, through the Messiah. First uh, Peter chapter 1, we read this. Concerning the salvation, the prophets searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the spirit of Messiah in them was pointing. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, things even angels long to look into. And so we've been entrusted with some awesome stuff, stuff that angels, in fact, we're told in, in, in portions of scripture that angels are in our midst, you know, wondering at God's work in such people as us. And you know what kind of people you are and what I am. Um, you know, we're not exactly the holiest of people. Uh, we're not uh, mighty people. We're not great people. And yet God says, I'm doing a great work in them. And he is, in spite of us. It's amazing. It's wonderful. And so our day-to-day -day walk, uh, the first three chapters of Ephesians, lays down theological truths about this new covenant walk that we have. The last three chapters deal with how we are to live day to day. In other words, first three chapters, theology. First three chapters, cerebral thinking. The next three chapters, practical. How we walk this walk. Now that we know these things, how do we live like believers? Someone once said to me a long time ago, and it stuck with me, you know, the hardest thing about being a Christian is being a Christian. <laughs> And uh, so I can understand certain theological truths, give thanks to it, but the outworking of it, now that's quite another thing. And that's what we find in chapters 4 and on. How does our relationship with Yeshua help us deal with problems and trials in our day-to-day -day living? And that's where we're at right now as we deal with Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. Let me read uh, this whole section. We're going to do Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 6. Therefore, in... Uh, you know, one of the things they teach you at Moody and uh, other Bible schools, when you ever see the word therefore, you're supposed to ask yourself what it's there for. Well, 
the reason that it's there for, the therefore is there, is because in the first three chapters he's given theological truths and now he's giving the outworking of it. Therefore, knowing these things, knowing the mysteries, knowing that you're part of a new covenant, know, knowing that you're priests, knowing that you've been clothed with righteousness, knowing all the blessings, knowing that you're married or engaged to the Lord and they're looking forward to that great wedding, knowing this, therefore, Paul writes, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which which you have been called. And so there it is, that word walk. You see it underlined there. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Does our behavior then match our beliefs? Does our talk match our walk? That's what we're challenged to now in this letter. Does our walk match our words? The old way versus the new. In Ephesians chapter 2, we learned that prior to our faith, we walked in a worldly way. It's what Josh read from Corinthians. Some of, you know, some of us were involved in some pretty messy stuff. In fact, some of you may still be involved in some messy stuff. And if you are, that's a problem. Because you're not going to inherit the blessings of the kingdom of God. Uh, but now, if you've come to Messiah and really have come to him, surrendered your life to him, he makes things new. And so we, we walked in a worldly way. This is our default mode. In fact, that's why even as believers, we revert back to our default mode if we're not focused and abiding in the Lord, if we're not renewing our mind daily. We revert back to our old nature. It's our natural tendency. We do what's easy. That's what we tend to do. But if you renew your mind, and if you walk and are filled with the Spirit, God transforms you into something new, into something different. And so our default mode is to, is to be worldly, uh, whether in religious life or in our secular life. That's, that's our, and actually many of us have a bifurcated faith. Uh, we, we on, on Shabbat, we're, you know, one kind of people. We are good and seem to be, you know, have our, we have our game face on as believers. But then we go out into the world and, uh, you know, do unto others before they do unto you. I mean, that's the way it is in the world, right? Uh, we got, I got to eat, so I got to do these things. Not really. No, you don't. If you are truly a believer, God can transform you so that you, do, you operate in a whole different realm. And this is the outworking of, this, of these theological truths. And, and this only comes as we're rightly connected to the Lord. And so we were dead in sin, but now we are alive in God. And we need to no longer walk as dead people, but we need to put on Messiah who is alive, resurrected, who's given us a new nature and made us into a new self. Uh, we wandered wherever the winds of this world blew. That's our natural default mode. Uh, but now in Messiah, we can walk in righteousness and holiness if we walk in him. If we abide in him. Yeshua said, abide in me and I in you, and so you will bear much fruit. So where are we going? How are we living? Does our lives truly reflect his glory and his majesty? When people look at you, do they see the Lord? Do they see the God of Israel? Now, you can't do this in and of yourselves. None of us can. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You just can't do it. But... In him, you can, if we abide in him. Now, how are we to walk? We've been called 
by God to live a life that demonstrates God's great love for man. Uh, how we live and how we walk is of supreme importance. God is more interested in the means than he is in the ends. Do you understand that? Don't worry about the end. The Lord's got that covered. Worry about, am I abiding in the Lord moment by moment? Am, am, am I in him? That's what Paul is urging us, knowing all these truths, to abide in him. And so our walk and how we walk is of supreme importance. It's not a matter of appearance, but a matter of perspective. It's a matter of not, not uh, what appears to be, but how we think. Not what the world shows us, but what we think about. And, and our minds are to be set on the Lord and on his kingdom. We're not to be brought down by what we see in the world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Paul's example. Paul tells us in verse 1 that we need the right perspective. We need to understand that we are prisoners of the Lord. When you came to faith in Messiah, you gave him your life. Now, you may not have understood this. To me, the classic illustration is when I got married, I had no idea what I was getting into. I had certain perspectives of what marriage was going to be like, and they were wrong. They were all wrong. Um, I had to learn to die. And, of course, my wife helped me. And, uh, and I helped her. But the reality is, I had no idea what was involved. Now, you probably had no idea what was involved when you said, I do, to the Lord. When you accepted him as your Messiah, you thought, thanks, Lord, for saving me. I've got forgiveness of sins. I'll see you later. God bless you. Thank you, Lord. And uh, I've, got, I've got people to go and see and places to go. That's not what happened. Now, you may not know that, but, but in reality, you said, Lord, I give you my life. You were bought with a price. You are the Lord's prisoner. Now, many times in the scripture, he talks about the word bond slave. Your ear was pierced. That's what a pierced ear is. A bond slave is a willing slave, one who's given his life to the Lord freely. And the sign of a bond slave was a pierced ear. You are, your life is no longer your own. You were bought with a price. And so, like Paul, sharing, actually sharing from prison, be the Lord's prisoner. Am I saying something bad here? <laughs> anyway, Paul's words here carry authority because he lived this out imprisoned in Rome for his faith. He was the Lord's prisoner. So he knows what he's talking about. And you and I are to live in a way that our lives are not our own. If you've truly come to the Lord, this is the only way you're going to have the ability to walk in a new way is if you really surrender your life to the Lord. Okay, flesh versus spirit. Paul calls us to walk that is to a walk that is worthy of our calling. We tend to walk apart from the Lord in our own strength and in our own way. We tend to believe that we must act and God responds to our efforts. That's how we, we, we think we act. We, we, the religion, it's I'm going to do this. I, I'm going to make this happen. But that's not the that's the way of the flesh. Uh, we tend to, to believe that we must act and God responds to our efforts. If I pray enough, if I give enough, if I do enough, then God will bless me. It's, it's a quid pro quo. That's what religion is. But we are 
of a different make. This is not religion. When you came to the Messiah, you were set free from religion. You were brought into a relationship. And that relationship begins when you gave your life to the Lord and he gave his life to you. You surrendered your life to him. And so you'll never be able to give enough. Just just get that out of your head. Your, Your whole life belongs to the Lord. And when you do that, God, in exchange, gives you a a better life than you could ever come up with. Better than you could ever do. Because he will do it through you. Alright, so, flesh. In reality, that doesn't work. It only leads to frustration and disappointment. Why? Because we can never do enough. Walking in our own strength. We can never do it. We need to change our perspective. And that's what Ephesians 4, verses 2 and 3 tell us. Take a look at that. In, in, in verses 2 and 3, we read this. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. All right? And that's a right attitude. That's the kind of attitude we're to have. Paul gives us three characteristics of a right attitude. So this is changing our thinking. Not religion, not just giving or doing and expecting God to punch your ticket. It's changing your thinking. Three characteristics he gives us of a right attitude. First of all, uh, the first characteristic is humility and gentleness. The opposite of asserting yourself. In other words, surrendering. Being low. Humbling yourself. Some of God's people aren't happy unless their ideas are acted on and their vision is embraced. I know that's the way I used to be, and I tend to be still, but I need to fight that. It's not my will be done, it's God's will be done. Thy will be done. And humility and gentleness is the only way that that is accomplished. When you esteem others as more important than yourself, that's a different mindset. That people aren't there for your benefit. You are there for their benefit. You are to be like the Lord. Laying down your life for others. Esteeming others as more important than yourself. But the way of the cross is humility and self-sacrifice. This is from Philippians. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility consider others better than yourselves. What? That can't be. That's not Jewish. That's not really the way it is, right? No, that's the way it is. That's the way it is of God, who is the king of the Jews and the king of the church, esteeming others as more important than yourself. Don't look out for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Messiah Yeshua, who being in the very nature of God didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, that is something to cling to and hold on to, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. I mean, God emptied himself in Messiah and humbled himself, and being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, if I were God, I wouldn't do that. Because I'm not God. And, and, and God shows us what he's like in Messiah. And that's a whole different way of thinking. We are raised to look out for ourselves. 
That's the way the world teaches us. If you don't do, take care of yourself, nobody else will. And, and God says, oh yes, somebody else will. I will. I will take care of you. If you put me first, if you surrender your life to me first, I will take care of you. He who humbles himself, God says, will be exalted. But he who exalts himself, what does God say? You will be humbled. And so this is a change of a mindset. Knowing these theological truths, knowing that we've been bought with a price, we need to walk in humility and gentleness, like the Lord, bearing with one another. Paul says to walk bearing with one another in love. Literally, patient endurance, long-suffering. This is a fruit of the Spirit. There, there's a number of manifestations of the one Spirit, but long-suffering, patience is one of them. Our, our response usually is, Lord, give me patience, only give it to me now. It doesn't work that way. The way patience comes is trials, difficulties, difficult people, difficult circumstances, difficult situations. And rather than fighting against it and being upset with it, humility and gentleness is embracing it. Allowing them to put nails in your hands. Embracing the cross. That's what God was trying to teach Israel in the wilderness. And he's still trying to teach it now in this wilderness called life. Embracing difficulties. Embracing trials. In humility and gentleness. The Bible says that obedience is better than sacrifice. I mean, you know, we can offer a lot of things to God. But what God most is looking for is our obedience. And obedience in humbling and being gentle with others. Humbling ourselves before others. Bearing with another. Hebrews 5a. Because he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Are you suffering something right now? Probably so. Don't fight it. Embrace it. Thank the Lord for it. I know it's difficult to thank God for difficult circumstances. But through it, he will bless you. If you embrace it, it'll change your attitude from fetching and moaning to saying, Lord, thank you for allowing me to go through this trial because somehow, I don't see it maybe right now, but somehow this is building character in me that otherwise would not come. And it's through our trials that character does come. Real character. Being men and women of God. Being men and women like Messiah who when he was cursed, when he was reviled, blessed and did not return evil, but instead returned good for evil. And it only comes by embracing trials and difficulties. It only comes in humility and gentleness. When we are walking in the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, we will be long-suffering. We will be patient. We don't react to an unkind word. When we are wrong, hurt, wounded, we don't retaliate. We surrender our rights. Because in truth, when you came to Messiah, you gave up your rights. You became a bondservant. And part of that is, it is dying. And it's through the trials that you are conformed to the death of Messiah. And it's only when you're conformed to the death of Messiah, this resurrection life, that transforming life, come about. It's the only way. And so, in humility and gentleness, 
Walking in unity is, an, is, is the next aspect of this walk. Walking in unity. Then Paul writes that we should bear one, with one another in love. Putting up with each other. You know, I'm difficult. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you that. Ask my children. But they love me. and They put up with me. They forgive me. In fact, there's a saying that to know me is to forgive me. And, and, uh, and that's what we are to do to one another. Uh, because of all that God has forgiven you, you have the ability to forgive others. What, what does the scripture say? If you don't forgive others, then God won't forgive you. But when you do forgive others, then you experience the joy of what God did for you in forgiving you. This is a call to unconditional love for another. Unconditional love. That's tough. But that's the secret of real marriage. That's the secret of what God's trying to do in us as a congregation, having unconditional love for one another. And when people come in the midst of that and see that unconditional love among us, they'll want to be a part of that. Because in this world, very rarely do you experience unconditional love. But among believers, that's what, that's what our walk is to look like. That's the new alakam. It's this kind of love God has for us. It's not something in ourselves, but comes through Messiah, who Messiah has, Yeshua has modeled it for us. He loves us unconditionally. You blew it today? Just go to him and tell him, and he forgives you. And not only does he forgive you, he forgets about it. It's like everything is new. And that's how we're to be with one another, walking in that way. All right, walking in unity. In Romans 12, 12, 18, we're told it is, if it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, there are some people who it's not possible. But as much as it's possible, as much as you can bear it, just like the Lord, live at peace. Live at peace. Don't react. Don't respond. Be a shock absorber. We're to make every effort. It is not easy, but we're told to do all that we can to love one another in unity and in peace. And, and, and if, we, if you can't take it anymore, then you need to go to that person and say, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> you know, this is what, you know, I'm trying to forgive, but you just keep on stepping on my toe with this. And so Matthew 18 says, if your brother sins against you, go to him. If you can't take it anymore. If you can't, you know, just you can't take it anymore. Well, then probably God's raising you to say something to that brother or sister in love, in humility, and try and work it out. Now, you may be wrong. That's why he says if, it does, if he won't receive it, bring someone else. And that someone else might say, you know, you, you're wrong about this. And that's, that's how we're to walk. Uh, it comes when we're abiding in the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Echad of God. There is one body. And one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. This is in verses 4 through 6. When you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It is by abiding in the Echad of God, the unity of God. And so the unity of God is seen through his spirit. It's identifying and knowing our Father, our Heavenly Father, and abiding in Messiah. It's in the Echad of God that we can walk this walk. We can't do it in ourselves. That's why the Trinity and the theology of the Trinity is so important to understand and embrace. 
Because God has revealed himself in his son and empowers us through his spirit to do this. And we know that we're loved by our heavenly father. Unity is in Messiah. Unity is in Yeshua. He must be our focus. When we are conformed to him, unity will happen, but we must abide in him. John 14, abide in me and I in you. For apart from me, you shall bear no fruit. We have to abide in him. Abide in me. Okay, there it is. Verse 4, John 15, 4. So neither can you unless you abide in me. We are, all, we are one body, a family of believers where Yeshua is our head. That's what God is doing in this mystery called the church or the congregation. We, we are one body. And as we, re, as we bind ourselves together, as we forgive one another, as we walk together in love, we are going to see others come within us and experience the fellowship, the joy of the fellowship where Yeshua is our head, a family of believers, where Yeshua is our head. Through him, we are filled and empowered with one spirit, the spirit of Messiah, the spirit of God the Father. They're all echad, part of the echad. One hope in our calling. We are all moving toward one goal, to see Yeshua face to face. Unity is in Messiah, one Lord, the Shema. Romans 10, 8, that is the word of faith we are proclaiming, that if you confess with your mouth Yeshua is Lord, that he is God, that to see Yeshua is to see the Father, Yeshua said. He who has seen me has seen the Father. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Yeshua. That's why the Shema is so important. And that it's not a singular one, it's a plural one. Because we learn about the nature of God through the Father, through the Son, and by his Spirit, through his Spirit. Yeshua is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is, you will be set apart and sanctified. That's why that profession of faith is so important. It is the, the fulfillment of the Shema. Abiding in Messiah. One faith. Faith is the entrance to the kingdom. One mikvah. One, one immersion. One baptism. A public confession of faith and cleansing. One baptism also of God's spirit. When you are immersed in See, immersion is part of our faith. It's identifying with Yeshua and his death. What is baptism? It's being buried in the likeness of his death. It's declaring to everyone that I've died to this world. That my life is no longer my own. And thank God he brings us out of the water. If he's a good baptizer, he won't leave you underwater. Brings you out. And you have a newness of life. That's, that's, that's water baptism. But also, at the moment you come to faith in Messiah, you're baptized in the Spirit of God. It happens at salvation, when you accept Messiah. And so we see the unity of God occurring. One faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father. He's the Father of all. The greatest thing about God is not that he is a king, not that he's a judge, but that he's a father who loves us dearly. And that gives us the ability to walk this walk. And we see, his, we see the Father's love modeled in the Son and operating through His Spirit. Finally, we're called to walk worthy. He is, he is in all. God is all-powerful, omnipresent, omniscient. Acts 17, verse 28, For in Him, Paul said to the, to the Romans, or to the, uh, the Greeks, In Him we live and move and exist. Nothing apart, nothing is apart from him. Do you know what that means? He's master of everything. You know, we sang that song as kids, he's got the whole world in his hands. You know, as we grow up, we don't believe it anymore. 
We say, no, no, how can that be? I mean, how can something like Boston happen? Or, or something like 9-11 happen? God can't be fully in control, can he? Yes, he is. There's a reason for it. Uh, maybe it's to call us to repentance. You know, the reason of the plagues, the reason of tribulation, it's all for a purpose. And he's, everything is in him. And, and when you surrender your life to the Lord, you acknowledge his sovereignty and that he's working everything together for good. And so that's how our thinking is transformed and how that works out in our reaction to things. We may not understand it, but we accept it from the Father and we're not rattled by it. He's master of it all. So Paul begs us, pleads with us, exhorts with us, walk worthy of our calling, walk in humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another because of his grace, because of his love, his life flowing through us. Let, let's let our behavior match our beliefs. That's what we're called to, to walk worthy. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this new halacha. We thank you for the Shema, that you, Lord, have revealed yourself as Father. Through your Son, we see the Father revealed. And then, Lord, you've poured out on us your Spirit that enables to walk a walk that's not religious, that's not in our own strength, but supernaturally done through your Spirit as we abide in you. I pray, Father, that, that we would recognize that our lives are not our own, and we were bought with a price, and therefore we're to glorify our bodies. For all these things, Lord, I pray that your spirit would impart these truths to us. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.